And again, what we understand is, and this is a challenge because we, we do live in this natural world, but we're called to not let this natural world determine how we live. And that's a challenge. Because I don't know about you, when I don't get much sleep, I wake up, I'm tired. You know, I woke up at 5.30 this morning, I had about, well, I don't even know how much sleep I had, because I went to bed at 12.30, but I got woke up four or five different times by our kids. They don't, use, they don't ever wake up that much. I mean, I, I honestly don't know if I got any sleep last night, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that we have to quit being driven like the world. I mean, the world, there should be no other way because that's all that you have. But when we know that we're not a body that has a mind that has a spirit, we are a spirit that has a mind that lives in a body. Big difference. It says in Christ, my body doesn't control me anymore. I can tell my body to shut up. I say, no, I'm not listening to you. Well, you hurt. I don't care. You, you mislead me all the time. I ask people, when was the, have your emotions ever misled you? Has your mind ever misled you? So maybe we shouldn't listen to it so much, right? So I'm going to briefly give just a little bit of an overview of where we've been going. Um, I started uh, about four weeks ago a series I'm calling Choose Life. It uh, comes predominantly out of two places in Scripture, one in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to just read two of the verses. It's, it's actually verses 1 to 20. But verse, uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 to 20 such powerful verses that God speaks. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. How many of you really don't want heaven and earth to be the witnesses against you? I mean, only God can call them. It's like, well, the witness, please come in. He's like, yeah, I'm calling up heaven and earth. Okay, I'm in trouble, right? That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and then God tells us, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And then John 10, verse 10. Again, I mean, the, the section is 1 to 10, but I'm going to read just verse 10. The thief comes not, has, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. And this is what we're talking about. The thief has come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. I mean... That's a good day for him. You know, he looks around at all the horrible things happening in our world, and he's, he's giving, you know, the demons high fives, right? But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have life more abundantly. And real quick, we've talked about that, but for those that haven't been with us, that in, in the Greek, in the New Testament, there's three words translated for life. One is bios. It's where we get our biology from. It's the study of life. Anything that has life. So it could be plants, it could be animals, it could be us. Every living thing has bios. The other one is suke. It's where we get the word psychology. It's the ability to think, to rationalize, to have human consciousness. Every human on the face of the planet has suke. But the life that Jesus is talking about is zoe. And zoe is only translated for eternal life. Every time that, that the scripture talks about eternal life, it uses the word zoe. And only those who have confessed their sins, accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, can have zoe. And Jesus said, I've come to give you zoe, eternal life, and to give it to you abundantly. Not just one day, but now. 
See, we don't wait. You know, it used to be back in the day, you know, even if you look at some of the old hymns, you know, they're just like, I'm, uh, what's the one? I'm, I'm waiting for my mansion over the hilltop. You know, I mean, all these songs were like, oh, I just I can get to heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven. Again, should we be excited to get to heaven? Well, of course. Do we know what heaven is? No, but look at the world around you. If God created all this and he knew it was going to pass away, what's he do when it lasts forever? I don't know, but it's got to be unimaginable, right? But he says, you have life now, eternal life now and forever. See, we walk in it now, and so we should walk differently. And so I've been talking about that I don't think most of us in the church have a good theology of what life is. We take earthly terms and bring them into the spiritual realm, and we try to live according to them. He didn't come that you'd have a great physical life. Will he bless your physical life? Of course. But that's not what he came for. Did he come so that you would be really intellectual? We live in the epicenter of intellectualism, rationalism. They all started right here. But did he come for those? No. Is God smarter than every person on the planet? Yes. But did he come for that? No. He didn't come to give you a really good mind. If you have a great mind, use it for Jesus. If you don't have a great mind, use that for Jesus too. But he came to give you eternal life. That's why he came. That's the thing that we can only have in Christ. So we talked about that, that you know, Satan comes to steal what? Our value, our identity, our self-worth, who we are, our security. But Jesus said he comes to give us value, to give us security, to give us significance, to give us an identity, that in Christ all these things are set. Satan can't steal them. The only place he can steal them from is when we stand in the flesh. We stand in the spirit, he can't touch them. They are sealed, solidified. So I'm just going to give a a couple of weeks ago, we we started, we talked about the culture of death that is around us, specifically abortion. And it's something we don't talk about a lot in the church. In fact, uh, my wife uh, quotes, there's a pastor, his name is Will Ford. He says, it's the fig leaf of the church. You know, statistically... Um, 60% of women that have abortions say they're either Protestant or Catholic. One-third of them claim to be born-again evangelicals. So what we know is this is a problem that we need to deal with in the church. There are 40 million-plus women and men who are post-abortive, and many of them sitting in our churches, and yet we don't talk about the healing and the hope and the forgiveness that's in Christ that you can be set free. We don't talk about that. And so, so women and men sit in here under this cloud of shame and guilt when they don't need to in Jesus' name. And we say it's time to choose life. Satan, this has been his number one tool in the entire world to propagate death. It's not just the lives that he's stealing in the womb. But it's the mothers, it's the fathers, it's the grandmothers and the grandfathers, it's the families, it's the friends. He steals life. And we as a church have stood by on the sidelines and just let them. And we've got to somewhere. It's not, do we need to go out and pick it? No. We need to, one, pray. And we need to create environments that are real, that are open, that are transparent, where people can know you can be set free and healed in Jesus' name. But we don't talk about it. And what happens if we don't talk about it? Did you know that one out of three women by the age of 45 have had an abortion in America? One out of three. That means sitting in every church in America, one-third of the women 
And one-third of the men, by the way, are post-abortive. And we don't talk about it. And yet we say that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captive free. We've got to be a place that we don't bring condemnation. We bring hope and healing and forgiveness. Because we believe that this group gets set free, they will be an army that will be unstoppable. Because whom the Son has set free is free indeed, cannot be stopped. That's what the church is supposed to look like, right? This unstoppable force. He says, I will build my church and it will, the gates of hell will what? Not prevail against it. And we all know gates don't move. So what? Well, except when Jesus is in front of them, then they move backwards, right? It says he rolls over them. So we talked about that. Last week, we started talking about what, guys? Sex. Sex. It's another word you don't hear a lot in church, do you? I won't do it again. Last week, I said it a whole bunch of times to get, so we could get comfortable with it. But we talked about that, that, that sex is not evil. Sometimes as the church, we, again, we don't talk about it. And so where do our young people, and not always our young people, I mean, let's be honest, man, there's lots of grown people in church that are shacking up, having sex outside of marriage, committing adultery, all this stuff's going on, addicted to pornography. And by and large, we just kind of like, don't say much about it. And yet every day, God's saying, I put before you life and death blessing and cursing. Please choose life, not just for you, but for you and your descendants that they may live. And see, here's the deal, that that sex, what we believe about it and what we understand from the Word of God, determines a lot of things in our life. How we see ourselves. I mean, lots of, well, men and women, but I would certainly say Probably more women, because men are, you know, they're, they're always par- propagating the lie that it's just a physical activity. It's nothing more. And a lot of women, because they desire intimacy. We've said that almost every person we ever sit down and talk with, almost everyone, it goes back to daddy issues. Almost everyone. Dad hasn't been there, or the way that he did or didn't love them, the things he did or didn't do. And I go, man, men. A huge amount of the way that people grow up believing in Christ is on us. And believe me, in the church, the statistics are no better than out in the world. Because a lot of dads, they're one thing on a Sunday and they're another thing on a Monday or when they get home on Sunday afternoon. But we believe that the Word of God is the inspired, living, breathing inerrant word of God. What, it mean, what does that mean? It means that what it says is true. Without question. And yet, so many times we allow the culture to define terms for us. And no bigger than in this area of sexuality. Real quick, I'm just going to say three things I talked about last week, and then we're going to get into talking about sexual immorality. Or fornication. It's not a word that we use a lot. That's a King James word, but... They mean the same thing. But talk real quickly about the three purposes of sex according to the Word of God. What are they? The first one is, it's a spiritual union. It says in Genesis 2, verse 24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. 
So the two become one. We understand this isn't a physical dynamic. This is a spiritual dynamic. They become one. We talked about that, that this is one of the reasons why people will tell you that any person they ever slept with, that it impacts their life. Because God never designed it to be a physical. He designed it to be a spiritual union. And so it creates a soul tie. It creates a connection with you with that person that is deeper than the physical activity. And it has to be broken. We're talking a minute here about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But one of the biggest lies in our culture is that sex is just a physical act. We even have, they do movies, you know, friends with benefits, no strings attached. That's become the whole idea. And now men have been propagating this lie for centuries. But one of the things that's different in our world today is that women have bought into it. And so now women are going, oh, you know, it's just, you know, it's just doing whatever. I can just, you know, kind of go do my thing. And again, friends with benefits. No, no. God designed it deeper than that. So over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about all this stuff. Today, I said we're going to talk about sexual immorality and fornication. Things like sex outside of marriage. Is it okay? What about pornography? Is God okay with premarital sex? What if you're engaged? How do you remain pure in singleness? I shared last year. Some of you heard that. I was 45 when Pastor Ishtar and I got married. Not only had I never been married, I had never had sex. And some people go, that's not possible. You must really be weird. Well, I don't think I'm weird. Was that easy? No. And as I tell people, I didn't get through that whole thing unscathed. But I can tell you that when I talk about being pure in singleness, I've got some street cred. How can you do that? What about living together? You know, some people say, well, you know, I mean, you kind of got to, you know, check out, see if we're going to like work out together. No. What about homosexuality? What's God's view on homosexuality? Is it a behavior or an identity? Does God hate gay people? Is it possible to be Christian and gay? Marriage and divorce. We're going to talk about all these things. Stuff that, again, this is what our culture talks about, but somehow the church oftentimes just kind of... We just kind of shine over all that stuff. You know, once a year in the youth group, they'll talk about, you know, sex and dating. Then let's not go there again. Because we don't have a very good understanding. How can we tell people what the Word of God says if we don't know the Word of God? How can we tell them that this is why I believe what I believe if I don't know what I believe? A lot of times, well, that's what I've been told. Well, I don't want you to believe something because I tell you. I want you to believe it because you know it's true. You've dug into the Word of God. I was telling somebody the other day, you know, I wish I could go to the, to the gym and watch other people work out and just, man, I get buffed. Yeah, look at me. You can see how well that's worked out, right? The only way anything changes is if you go into the gym and you work out. You change what you eat. You change what you do, right? But yet in the church, everybody comes and says, okay, pastor, you do the heavy lifting, you know, you get in the Word of God, you break it down, you give it to me, and then, man, I'm going to just get pumped up. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you have a diet of fast food, what's going to happen? You're going to get jacked up. And that's basically, if all the only time you're getting the Word is on a Sunday, and you're not digging into it, not just reading it, but getting into it. Study the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Know the Word of God. So that when people ask you, it comes out. 
Because whatever area you're in, whether it's a hobby, your career, your school, somebody comes up and starts to ask you questions, you don't have to think, oh, uh." no, it just comes out, right? Because this is the stuff that you know. If I talk to somebody who's a mechanic, and I start talking about cars, man, this, this guy's excited. He starts telling me all kinds of stuff that I don't understand, right? When we know it, when it's in me, it comes out of me. You can't get something out of you that's not in you. Bottom line. Bottom line. So if we're not in the Word of God, guess what? It can't come out of us. We can hope. I keep thinking osmosis, man. Just put it on my head. And go. No, it doesn't work. I, I can't memorize Scripture without actually choosing to memorize Scripture, right? Then, talked about the second purpose. It's for, it's for reproduction. God actually designed Sex as the reason and the way to have reproduction, to recreate life, to partner with God to create life. He could have done it anyway. I mean, he could, have, he could have figured out any way he wanted. He's God. But this is the way he chose. And so we talked a bit about that. And the third one is, is he created it for physical pleasure. It actually is to bring physical pleasure. But no, that's the third purpose, not the number one. Our culture has flipped it all and made it the number one thing. It's called hedonism. Pleasure is the ultimate goal in selfishness, but not in the Word of God, not in the kingdom of God. So what about choosing life when it comes to sexual immorality or fornication? Anybody? What is that? What is it? Anybody? Sex outside of marriage? Okay. Anything else? Is that it? So everything else except sex outside of marriage, God's cool with. I mean, I know we're going to read some things where he talks about adulterers and homosexuals. So, I mean, we understand, okay, he separates those. But what about everything else? He's cool with pornography. He's cool with heavy petting. He's cool with, you know, any kind of inappropriate behavior outside of marriage that's sexual. He's cool with all that. No, see, fornication means all that. Because here's the word... And I don't think it's a hard, you know, sort of dot to connect these two dots, or the line to connect these two dots. The Greek word is porneia. Any ideas where, what other word in our culture we might have got from that? So understand, it's, it's much more than just sex outside of marriage for two unmarried people. It encompasses any kind of sexual sin or perversion, especially sex outside of marriage between two people that are not married, but includes pornography, anything that causes you to be sexually aroused or have inappropriate sexual thoughts. So who can be sexually immoral? Just men? Just single people? Just young people? Surely not old people. Married people? Yeah. All of the above. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. It says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You're like, whoa! Jesus is rough. Yeah, that's what I tell people. Man. I always love how people will make Jesus out to be, He was this nice teacher. You know, he was just a good rep. No! Jesus said some stuff that was got up in your grill and called you to live a life that is way difficult. In fact, impossible without the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> Sometimes it feels impossible with the Holy Spirit, but it's not. Turn to Matthew 15, just a few chapters over. And, you know, the Pharisees, they're like the religious people, and they're always trying to make Jesus look bad. So, so they're always um, asking him questions. And Jesus was, he was like the, the best at flipping the tables on people. Because they'd ask him a question, and he'd say, well, here, let me ask you a question. And you answer my question, and I'll answer yours. And I mean, he would just like zero right in there. Bam! And they'd go, uh, you can't answer that. Okay, then I'm not going to answer your question. You're like, yeah, I got to get better at that. I mean, there wasn't even a debate, right? These guys were coming already, and they just like shut them down. How? Because he was led by the Holy Spirit. See, the scripture even says that when you go to speak on my behalf, the Holy Spirit will fill your mouth. Was Jesus all that wise? No. He, he actually just says, I only do what the Father says. I only speak what the Father tells me to speak. He was just perfectly listening to the voice of God. So this is what it says in Matthew 15. The Pharisees, they're trying to make Jesus look bad. His disciples, they saw him go and, and eat some bread, and they didn't go, and, and it says they didn't wash their hands. It wasn't just like they didn't go to the sink and wash their hands, okay? But there was, a, there was a whole ceremony, it's called ceremonial cleansing, that they had to go through before they would eat. It was one of the religious things. And they didn't do that. They just went and, you know, began to, you know, eat lunch. And this is what happens in verse 16. Jesus said, well, because then, you know, Jesus kind of shuts down the Pharisees. And then Peter, as he often did, asked a question that, you know, don't you love the, people always say there's no such thing as a stupid question. I don't know, man. Jesus made it sound like it was a stupid question. This is Jesus, Right? I mean, Peter asked the question, and this is what Jesus says. Are you also still without understanding? That pretty much sounds like me, like, that's a stupid question, right? And we say there's no such thing as a stupid question. Tell that to Jesus. Verse 17. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Then here he goes into this whole laundry list. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts... Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Notice that in this list that Jesus gives, one of them is fornication or sexual immorality, but he lists it with a whole bunch of other things, and this is what he says. These come out of the heart. And you go, well, that's just a figurative speech. Well, yeah, but let's, let's look at what the Scripture talks about with the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Jesus in Matthew 12 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said in John 7, He who believes in me as the scriptures has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, look at that list there in Matthew 15. Does that look like rivers of living water? He says, Out of the heart, proceeds all of these things. But he says, but those who believe in me, says out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. So I think we got to look and say, if some of this stuff is going on in my life, somewhere I don't believe what he says. Because if I do, it says rivers of living water. And 
Jesus said, you can't get both good water and bad water out of the same river. You know, it's not like the river, you know, I used to laugh years ago, it's been a long time now, but where they used to have smoking on airplanes, you remember this, that there was this invisible curtain that was the smoking and the non-smoking area. And you're like, what, the smoke is just supposed to know to stop? So somebody could be sitting right here smoking, and the person sitting right there is in the non-smoking area. You go, this is stupid. Or restaurants, they did the same thing in restaurants. There's this magical line, and Jesus says it's impossible. You can't have good and bad coming out of the same source. So it says, out of the heart comes the wellspring of life, the issues of life. So we've got to go, whoa, wait a minute. Where's the rivers of living water? Look with me in 1 Corinthians 6. I don't know, we may not get out of this section today, because this is a really powerful section of Scripture right here. And, re- and remember, what we're reading, Paul is writing to the church, Okay? Remember that. He's not, he's not writing to the world, the big bad people out there. He's writing to the church up, up in here, right? So, you know, just realize Paul's writing this to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses, starting in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to verse 11. And such were some of you. Now, listen, past tense, right? Some were you. He continues on, but you were washed, past tense, but you were sanctified, past tense. What's sanctified mean? Anybody? Cleansed, holy, set apart. But you were justified. What's justified mean? Made right. right. Just as if I never sinned. Righteousness. Yes, I was made righteous. In what? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who's in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul gives a similar list here that Jesus did in Matthew 15. But again, he's specifically writing to the church. And you go, well, why do you have to write this to the church? Well, obviously there's a bunch of people in the church that are not getting this right. I mean, he wasn't writing all this because everybody was walking according to the Spirit, right? He starts it off, and what's he say? He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, he's saying if we actually have a lifestyle that's completely unrighteous, do we believe that that's 
fruit, as Jesus said, that you'll have fruit unto repentance. You'll have a lifestyle that matches. Does that mean we don't mess up? We don't fall? Of course, we understand. But it's not, it's not a choice of this is the way I'm going to live my life and we just kind of thumb our nose at God. And that's what was going on in the church in Corinth. They're just like, hey, man, we're under grace. We, can, we, got, we got license to sin. You know, when I was 16, I got my driver's license. And I was like, I was licensed to drive, right? And the, and the church was looking at it and saying, oh, yeah, we get it now, man. We're under grace. Well, I'm going to see. Hopefully we'll get to Romans because... Paul, he deals with that. But he says, some of you were such as this. You were, past tense. But you were washed. What? Says that the blood of Jesus will what? Wash us white as snow. Gone. I mean, you know, you know snow, the snow that's out there right now is looking really ugly. But when there's a fresh snow... If especially if it's a big one and it just covers everything. There's very few things as beautiful as that. It's, like a, it's so gorgeous because everything is clean, pristine. It says that the blood of Jesus washes your sin away like that. It says, and you've been sanctified. You've been made holy. Jesus says, you're holy because I'm holy. You're righteous because I'm righteous. You've received the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says... You were those things, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Past tense. Been done. Taken care of. Yeah, turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. I don't know if we'll get all through this, but this is Paul. We were talking about this in Romans in our uh, Operation Solid Lives or Discipleship class right now. We've been talking about Romans and reading. We just read through Romans, if you're doing the Life Journal. And, and we were talking about that Romans is not one of those books that for most of us makes us feel warm and fuzzy. You know, some, some books, I mean, I love James. You know, I'm a pragmatist, so I love James, man. He's all like, you know, live it. Faith without works is dead. You know, get the tongue under control. I mean, it's all about, you know, do it. Action, you know. Pure religion looks like this, taking care of the widows and the orphans in their distress. I mean, you know, I, I like that. You know, that's just like, yeah, I get this. But Romans, man, it's just, it's just like deep theology, dealing with the law and grace. It's dealing with the reality of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I said, it's kind of like the foundation of a, of, a, of a building. It's not real pretty. In fact, we cover it up. You don't ever really see it. But if it's not, if it's not done well... The house or the building will fall, right? Jesus used that analogy for us. If our life's not built on the rock of Christ. And this is it. So we need to understand Romans because it's what makes us understand what we believe. And a lot of people take pieces and they pick and choose what they like in Romans. Oh, I like that. Verse. Oh, I don't really care so much for that one. Oh, I don't understand that one. So I'm going to leave that one alone. But see, we've got to look at Romans in its context. Because he wrote it so that people, us, would understand what we believe, and why we believe it. That we would have a solid foundation. Maybe not real warm and fuzzy, but really important. Again, you know, most people, you know, cover the floor, right? I mean, most, some people now, they'll paint them or whatever. That's kind of cool, do the industrial thing. But most people, we want to make it look pretty, right? But it's still there. And so understand the same thing is true about Romans. So Romans chapter 6. 
verse 1. Paul's dealing with this very same thing. You know, people thinking, hey, you know, I, I've got, I'm under grace. So he says, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, hey, you're under grace, so should we just sin more so there'll be more grace? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What does it say in verse 2? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, a lot of times we don't really think about this, right? Because we don't think about something being dead. I mean, when was the last time you, like, drove by some roadkill and it just kind of jumped up and ran out in front of your car again, right? Like, no, right? It's been like, it's just laying there. Because it's what? It's dead. When something's dead, it's dead. But we don't treat our flesh like it's dead. We treat our flesh like it's still alive. See, we don't even think of it as being dead. And see, that's why Paul's trying to help them have a new understanding. We talk about this, that, that Christ is trying to always reorient our thinking. That's what Romans 12 talks about. Don't be transformed to the patterns of thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to know what God's good will, His pleasing and perfect will is, right? That He's constantly trying to reorient our thinking so that we think in the spirit rather than in the natural. Because again, if we're a spirit that has a mind that lives in a body, then who should be running the, who should, who should be running the ship? The spirit, right? And that's why He over and over again says, walk according to the spirit. Not the flesh. Because the flesh is going to take you in a direction that's death. It's death. It can't lead you anywhere but death. Verse 11 there in chapter 6, he says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So understand that in Christ your spirit is dead to sin. Dead. You know, they usually say like in the, the mafia, you're dead to me. You know, it's like somebody, you know, whatever, turned on the family, right? You're dead to me. Well, that's what we got to remind to our flesh. You're dead to me. You are dead to me. Does it mean they don't exist? No, your flesh is still there. 
And understand what became new was not your flesh. It was not your mind. It was your spirit. Now it says that our mind is being renewed. But guess what? Your flesh is going to keep being the flesh until you meet Jesus. Until you get a glorified body that has new flesh. It's going to, it's going to keep telling you what it tells you. It's going to say, I'm hungry. When you're fasting, does your body ever tell you that you're hungry? Yeah, all the time, right? And more so than when you're not fasting, right? You could go all day and not eat when you're not fasting, right? You're busy, you're doing stuff, and you can even forget about it. But man, when you're fasting, you can't go five minutes because your flesh is telling you, I'm hungry. And what are you going to tell your flesh? You're dead to me. You are dead to me. Because he says, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. But verse 14, we often get this twisted in the church. Look at what verse 14 says. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. And you go, wait a minute. That says kind of the opposite of what I always think it says. It doesn't say, sin shall have no dominion over you. Or we kind of almost think, well, I can kind of walk in sin because I'm under grace. I'm not under law. No, no, that's not what Paul says. He says, sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, under long, no longer under the law. So he's saying the law is what gave sin dominion over you. So in other words, now you actually have the freedom to not sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. So under grace, instead of having license to sin, he says, now sin no longer has dominion over you. No longer has control over you. And you go, well, try and tell my flesh that, right? Because my flesh still wants what my flesh wants. But when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. He was not talking about your flesh. He was not talking about your mind. He's talking about your spirit. Your spirit has become new. You are a new man, a new woman in Christ. Because you used to believe that your flesh, your body, was the most important thing. And your mind was closely related. But guess what? Now you know that's not true. Satan has been lying all along. Your spirit. How do we know what true reality is? Well, whatever lasts the longest, right? I mean, so if this, if this material world is the true reality, then this will last forever. Anybody here believe this thing's going to last forever? I don't think anybody in this world thinks it's going to last forever. We know it won't last forever. But your spirit, your spirit will last forever. Either with Christ or apart from Christ. Hmm, where are we? Man, I want to just I'm gonna just jump in a little bit to Galatians chapter five. Cause here's the deal. I think most of us probably understand that, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to be walking in the flesh. I mean, in Christ, I've been made new. I'm supposed to be dead to sin. I'm supposed to be alive in Christ. I get all of that. But here's the reality. How do I do that? Because a lot of times, we're actually led by our flesh, aren't we? 
And it's not always in like areas, like here we're talking specifically about sexual immorality, but it's not always in like these areas of big sin. Because what's sin? Disobedience to God, right? I mean, that's why he puts in the same list, slanderers. What's a slanderer? Somebody who backmouths somebody, talks behind their back. A gossip. You're like, whoa! He put gossips in the same list with, you know, adulterers and homosexuals and thieves and, yeah. Because here's the reality. Is disobedience to God is sin. Him who knows what he should do and doesn't do it is sin. See, a lot of times I think that's why we don't ask God, right? If I don't ask, then I didn't know, right? If I didn't know, oh, really, are you not responsible for what you, quote, didn't know? Try and hold that up in a court of law. Well, I didn't see him rob the bank. Okay, you were sitting in the car when he got in the car after you robbed the bank. But I wasn't looking at him. Good luck with that, right? It doesn't make sense. But yeah, that's kind of how we, we think we can play like, you know, the, the old game with God. You know, hey, we're, you know, it's not really sin, God. I mean, I didn't really know. Well, see, God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Sorry. He who knows what he should do and doesn't do it is sin. So the question is, then how do we walk according to the spirit and not to the flesh. Well, it's not necessarily like there's this great answer. If you're waiting for me to give you, you know, an answer that will blow you away, I'm sorry. It's actually just what scripture says. I could give you the 10 points on how to, you know, walk according to the spirit, but that's not what you need. It's it's actually this simple. It's in Galatians chapter 5, 3 verses in verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are, what? Contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, here we hear it again, you're not under the law. See, we have a misunderstanding of grace according to the Word of God. There are teachings out there right now that that make grace this costless, um, universal license to basically do whatever you want. It's contrary to the Word of God. That's not the grace. No, the grace that we have cost God separation from Himself. The only perfect relationship that ever existed was broken for you and me. That's the cost. So for us to think we can just kind of go and live however we want, "Eh, we're just under the grace of God, is thumbing our nose at God. But we don't live under condemnation, not when we're in Christ Jesus. But when we step into the flesh, where am I? Am I I under Christ? I'm under Chris. Let me tell you, there's a big difference. People say it's just one letter. Yeah, big letter, the cross. <laughs> Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What does that mean? 
Well, it, it really comes down to the simple thing that it's on, it's on whatever you see for us because we really believe that this is the very simple way that it comes down to all the time is hear, listen, and obey. It's this constant submission to the Spirit and not the flesh. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me, and He walked perfectly on the face of this earth. So am I saying you can walk perfectly? Yeah. If you listen perfectly to the Spirit of God, yes, you could. Will you do that? Probably not. But our desire, our heart, is to follow the Spirit. Because it says these are contrary. Try pushing two ends of a magnet together, right? If you flip it around, yeah, they stick. But you push these two ends together, they what? Repel one another. You cannot push them together. It says that's the same way the flesh and the Spirit is. You cannot bring them together. They're polar opposites. John says that. If you say you dwell with, in the light, but you walk in darkness, there's no light in you. Again, when you have light, you don't have darkness, right? I mean, all you have to do is, you know, put on a little lighter, light a match, and all of a sudden, it dispels the darkness, right? I want us to close here. Next week, we're going to talk, we're going to get into some of this the nitty-gritty stuff. Because, you know, and, that's, and that was just a word from the Lord, you know, Pastor Basil, because we believe that God has called us to set the captives free. That, that, the verses Luke 4, 17 and 18 that Jesus quotes out of Isaiah are, are like our theme verses for us as a church. That's the revolution. That the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captive free. That we would be a place that people come and will leave here free. Because of us, because of the power of Jesus Christ that breaks every chain. And if you are stuck, I don't care what it is, Jesus can set you free. He wants to set you free. It says, He's already set you free. The freedom is there. The door is open. We just have to accept the freedom that has already been won through the blood of Christ. And we want to help open that door. Unleash the freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're stuck in pornography, you're stuck in, in having you know, inappropriate sexual relationships outside of marriage, you're stuck in some way, you've got soul ties because, you know, again, there's no condemnation those are in Christ Jesus. You had sex outside of marriage before you got married or maybe you're still not married. Guess what? God forgives you. Grace is there, but understand those soul ties got to be broken because they are a spiritual union with someone that you, by the way, do not want to be spiritually connected to. And you go, well, they weren't even believers. It doesn't matter. God spoke it. He didn't say to those who are in me. He says, when a man leaves a woman, the two will become one flesh. It's got to be broken. We're going to talk about that. What does the word of God say? That you can be free. Because you might think, well, that doesn't bother me. Well, I'm telling you, it does. You want to be set free. Let's pray. Would you close your head, or close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute? Aaron, would you come just start playing there? You know, my... And please, no, I don't stand up here and, man, I got this thing whipped. I'm like never walking in the flesh. I'm, no, I, I'll be the first to tell you. My wife would be the second one to tell you that 
No, I, I have a challenge with it just like anybody else. But what I do know is that my prayer, my desire, what I'm learning and knowing from the Word of God is that I may walk according to the Spirit and not the flesh. Because sometimes, too, we hear that so I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh and we put it into some sexual context. No, it's anything that the flesh desires above and beyond Christ. He says that we would submit everything to Him. So I want to ask two questions. Everybody's eyes are closed. One, I don't know everybody here. As far as I know, everybody here may know Jesus, but I, I want to give the opportunity. If there's anybody here that you've not asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you've not confessed your sins and made him the Lord of your life, that you can do that today. Or maybe you, you have, but you've just been walking on your own. Quite blatantly, you've just been walking on your own. Maybe you've even been acting like you got everything sorted out with God, but you don't. That you'd make that right today. Is there anybody here that would today would say, you know what, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to confess my sins. I want to acknowledge Christ as my Lord. Is there anybody? Is there anyone that would say, I want to recommit my life to the Lord. I've been walking on my own, kind of doing my own thing. Maybe I've had the appearance that I'm walking with Jesus, but I know in my heart I haven't. Is there anybody that would say, yeah, I want to recommit my life. I want to, I want to make sure that Jesus is the Lord of all. Well, Lord Jesus, I want to pray for each and every one of us. Lord, I'm not going to ask people to raise their hand, but if you're in your heart, if you're just saying, man, I, I realize I, I, I've, been walking, I've been walking according to the flesh. Haven't even, hasn't even been attention. I'm not even asking God most of the time what he wants to do with my life. I'm not asking what he wants me to do. That right now you would ask him, one, to forgive you, but two, to empower you to choose the spirit over the flesh. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in Christ, our spirit was made new in a second, just like that. Lord, we didn't have to become new, we became. The old is gone, the new has come, but yet, Lord, now we have to choose to submit to you every single day, every moment of every day. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that through the power of your spirit that lives in them, they would walk according to the spirit and not the flesh. They would choose to hear your voice, to listen to it and to obey it, no matter the cost, no matter what it means, no matter what it means how people see us, no matter what it means what people think or say, no matter what we may think or say, that we will be obedient. Because in that place, Lord, we see your pleasure. We see your grace. We see your joy. It says you'd give us joy that's unspeakable, peace that's not like the world gives. You'd give us love that's unconditional, that's sacrificial. Lord, that we could walk in the fruit of the Spirit and not the desires or the works of the flesh. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.